If you don't believe me or don't get it, I don't have to try to convince you. Sorry, Satoshi Nakamoto. Welcome back to the What Is Your Bitcoin podcast with your host, Gigi. And in this week's episode, we're sitting down with Ben Ark, the founder of Ellen Bits, a leading open source Lightning Network wallet and invoice generator. Ben is a passionate advocate of Bitcoin and Lightning Network and has significant contributions uh, to development of both. He has been working on Elebits since 2019 with the goal of creating a user-friendly, accessible Lightning Network wallet that would help to promote the adoption of the technology. Elebits has since become one of the most popular Lightning Network wallets with over 100,000 active users. It is known for its ease of use, wide range of features, and strong security. Prior to working on Elebits, Ben worked as a software developer at a number of startups. He has also a strong background in mathematics and computer science. In his spare time, Ben enjoys spending time with his family and friends and playing video games. He's also a regular speaker at Bitcoin conferences and meetups, and that's where we met. Um, and we are excited, super excited actually, to have Ben on the show today to talk about his Bitcoin journey, the development of LM Bits, and his vision for the future of Bitcoin. Ben, welcome to the show. Welcome. I have I have a slight correction though that um, I, I, sure. I definitely don't have a background in mathematics and computer science. I was a woodwork no mathematics. teacher before all this Bitcoin stuff. So, <laughs> well, I, I I guess we'll blame it on the AI. You can't always rely on uh, AI. Is that what um, the AI said? I quite like that's that. That's what um, the AI basically said. Basically, yeah. So yeah, that's fine. I'll do. The so we'll, we'll, we'll give it to ChatGBT uh, to, to to plug it in the mathematical uh, qualification in in, in in your background. Yeah, I'll brush up on my math so ChatGBT is right. That's the way to do it, isn't it? <laughs> Perfect. I really well, like well, that Satoshi quote as well. That Satoshi quote to me, it I mean it's the it's I think it's like the most <clears throat> fiat jaffy Satoshi quote in the it's it's kind of antagonistic. Mm. You no, know, I haven't got time to help you. But then it's got that hint of humanity at the end where he's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've not got time to convince you. Sorry. I, I, I agree. It, it's got that humility as well in it. It's, it's not just the yeah. arrogance. Sorry, I don't have time, but, you know, sorry. But maybe, yeah. maybe he was British as well. Who knows? Because this is a, it's a pretty British thing to kind of finish it with a sorry, no? Yeah, that's... Uh, I don't know. I, mean, really. I know people who do that from around the world. I mean, we do, we do apologize a lot, of course. But... Um, and we should, but the the, the I, I also know of other people who say sorry and apologize a lot in the in their general um you know what's it called linguistic style. <laughs> well, well, perfect. Yeah, so, Satoshi, so... Satoshi did have the double spacing, didn't he? Um, he did. Which, but then that's kind of an academic thing. So if you if you came from academia, um, or say if you've even just like done a PhD, then at that time, then you could have probably done the double space do they do double spacing in the u.s when it comes to academic i'm papers? not sure I'm, I'm i'm not familiar with with the u.s um mm. s educational system but mm. I, I don't know but maybe he was doing it on purpose so people do think he came from academia <sighs> so you never know i think that is to be honest like it's such an achievement for all those eyes um and all those great minds to be trying to un tangle this riddle of who is satoshi and to be doing it for more than a decade and we still don't know really definitively who he is and i do think that part of that is uh, an active use of um, breadcrumbs and red herrings like bread breadcrumbs leading off in the wrong direction i kind of feel yeah. that the dory nakamoto thing may have been part of that um to to use the name satoshi nakamoto knowing that there was someone in that area who was you know could arguably be 
Satoshi um, and uh, just just laying those breadcrumbs in the wrong direction. I think it's a it's a good good way for for those out there who want to be anonymous. I think <laughs> putting in some some seeds, some ideas of who you might be, uh, which are yeah. false, and I actively encouraging them to grow. I think it, that's quite a good policy. Yeah, no, de- de- definitely with it. With the the, the the distraction worked over the years. Here we are coming up yeah. to 15 years and, and, and still guessing and to be honest hopefully we never find out because that's essentially a, another big essence of bitcoin right not knowing who, God who, damn, who the creator 15 was years. After, yeah. after it got to 10 years I, I just said oh just more than 10 years and i because i couldn't be asked counting but is it really 15 years wow yeah and before you that's know it I... ben it's going to be 30 and, and beyond yeah <laughs> yeah but it is really a blink of an eye when it comes to technology and protocols um and uh, sure. also with Bitcoin, we've had, it's only recently, I would say, um, that we've had to kind of have Bitcoin work for a real world usage um, and kind of a, a larger volumes. So we're so we're so early. There's so much to build. Um, there's I only agree. Well, we're, we're, we're coming up what, to, to the to the well, there's only been three halvings. We're coming up to the fourth one and, and there's 32 halvings embedded in the protocol right which people see this yeah this this halving as well is going to be nuts so it's going to be we're going to it's that perfect storm of fomo um, which seems to happen you have the perfect storm of the perfect storm of fomo we're going to have the etf being approved with blackrock we're going to have um the halvening and then i i really believe that there'll be a country without a developed economy maybe in el salvador um mm. which will build um an e-cash local currency on bitcoin because uh, it just makes sense if you look at the technology stack those countries which have that proprietary mindset and they have that central bank they're going to build their cbdc's in some sort of evil central banky way <laughs> but then those countries which haven't got access to a central bank but they want to wiggle out of you know usd hegemony then they'll probably build on that free and open source stack which has proven itself over the years um and i th- you know i think with kind of a, a feddy feddy mint type thing a feddy uh, a federated e-cash that mm. i think the the one of the most interesting use cases would be creating like an el salvador dollar which is pegged to maybe a basket of different currencies or something um obviously not foolproof but corruption resistant enough that it can't be corrupted from internal and external forces so i feel that that will happen in the first quarter, first two quarters of, of the next year, as well as the ETF and as well as probably happening at the end of this year, and then also the halvening stuff as well. And I think it's it's not crazy to say that we'll be at 240k Bitcoin um, nah. next year. If you get these Cause, predictions, cause... people like oh, 160k, and you're like, <laughs> no, no, man. Like, just just literally take the past couple, past half. Have you done three halvings? Just yeah, take the halvings. charts. I did this in the first one. So they, not the first one, the third one. I took the second, the pattern of the second. Um, uh, market uh, the you know the, the value of bitcoin and then i just took the it was like 2000 was it 16 i don't know anyway i took the um the chart from the previous halvening and around the previous halvening and i just superimposed it and it, it was completely accurate on on price uh, i can't remember what we got to what was it 70k or whatever it was yeah just um, under yeah so and it worked as well for the the 20k one as well the 20k pump as well but there's a few particularly with halvenings they are quite predictable i think and because this has happened three times in the past, you know, it's the it's the um, self fulfilling prophecy. The the the, the money will pile in and yeah. um, into Bitcoin, and that will push the price up. So yeah, hold on to your Bitcoin, people. <laughs> Stack sats and be humble. Mm. 
Perfect. So, so let, let's take it then, Ben, to the beginning. C can you tell us about your first encounter with Bitcoin? Kind of where were you and, and what drew you to the technology in, in the first place? Um, I think like a lot of Bitcoiners, they have an inherent um, draw to the technology. When they first hear the, the, maybe just the word Bitcoin or, or some of the concepts, that is prick. And then there's kind of a, a slow process of osmosis where you hear about it on the telly, you hear about it here, then you read about it in the paper. Um, and then uh, you start to inquire about it and learn about it more and more on, on, on the internet. And then you, you come across like someone who's good at explaining what Bitcoin could be. So I don't think anyone really knows what it is, but there's people who are good at explaining what it could be. Um, <laughs> and then they inspire you then to to i don't know to get involved and the best way to get involved with bitcoin of course is, is to buy you're actually supporting the network and being a contributor just by um owning bitcoin but then over time you kind of feel it's that um it's that responsibility you feel for the commons you get access to that to that commons and then yeah. you're you benefit from it and then you feel that you, you want to contribute back in some way and that's why we it's that um self-enforcing uh, feedback loop which i think has made bitcoin so strong is you have people who uh they want to contribute back um and then also like a lot of people also have been you know freed financially from as much responsibility as they had before they invested in such a speculative but high returning asset and that frees up their mind space so they can then concentrate on contributing back so i think in the so when I first heard of Bitcoin, in the UK, we were really lucky because we had, in other parts of the world, you know, they had all this FUD about Bitcoin. How is this drug dealer? Um, <laughs> terrorist uh, financing. Currency, terrorist financing, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Whereas in the UK, we had like, you know, a, a dorky, charming BBC correspondent on some tech program saying, oh, this is a new internet, buddy. And it's, oh, it's called Bitcoin. And, oh, it's, it's on the internet. And um, we didn't really have, we had more of a technical explanation as to what Bitcoin was in quite a positive way. So I remember hearing, I used to listen to, I think it was BBC Radio 4, I think, which is kind of a talk show based uh, radio platform on in the UK. And I think I used to listen to that when I was driving to work and I probably first heard about it on there. Um, I was thinking about this the other day and I was trying to work out exactly when it was. I started, I did my first deep dive because um, I got, I actually got beaten up. When I was when I was in town having a few drinks with some friends, <laughs> and then uh, there was a thing in the UK at that time where if you if you got if you had if you had like a criminal something something criminal happened to you and you know you suffered any sort of trauma then you could get like a little paycheck which so they would basically take the gangster money you know from the, the drug <laughs> seizures and then they would give it to the victims of crime. Um, so I had like a little cash injection, not much, just a few grand, um, and I remember. In reading intensely on the internet about Bitcoin, but this was at a time when not many people could explain it properly and there wasn't that much material out there. Um, so I remember watching a whole bunch of videos about um, how to build like uh, mining rigs with GPUs and things. Um, and I, I totally didn't get any Bitcoin at that point. Um, and then it was, <laughs> yeah, it was that sort of story of a lot of like, you know, should have, could have, would have type story. But I think everyone's got that with, you know, yeah, with, we with, with something like Bitcoin. Uh, there's that great site by DJ Booth. Actually, no, that's for when you've sold Bitcoin. If you sell Bitcoin and then buy something, you can... So on his site, it's a horrible site. You can put in the date and you can put in the um, the amount the amount which you paid. And then it will tell you how much that Bitcoin is worth now. And it's horrendous. Um, even <laughs> for like modest purchases. So anyway, so at some point I had enough 
because I was so I was a teacher um, and I was working with naughty kids, um, kids and youth offending, those sorts of those sorts of kids, uh, teenagers. And I sort of specialised in those those kinds of young people. Um, and I was very aware of Bitcoin then. And I would talk about it often because the kids were quite switched on and intrigued in dissident technologies because they're kind of dissident thinkers, which is why they're dissident thinkers who can't um, manage their behaviour in a way where they can get through like society without getting in trouble. Um, mm. So, but they're off, this is this is why I was quite passionate about what I did because I think that they're actually the kinds of minds you want to engage in society. It's just they haven't been taught those lessons because they haven't had that support network Trinity. behind them or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I remember talking to a lot of them about Bitcoin. Um, and then at some point, you know, I must have got some Bitcoin somehow. I don't know how much, but a, a little bit. And when work, when I was, when I was uh, off, the service was quite expensive. We used to have small groups of, you know, like, two kids in a classroom three kids in a classroom so after the austerity stuff we got the squeeze um mm. and then i was able to just give myself a little bit of time uh, as i said you know before, before and you feel like you want to contribute back give myself a little bit of time to um figure out what i want to do next kind of have like you know a little sabbatical um and then that evolved and developed into the hardware projects so start making um start playing i realized there was a, a gap in the market when it came or a gap in the knowledge base of Bitcoiners. There was a, a big um, emphasis on like building your own node with Raspberry Pis, uh, but there wasn't really like, like a maker community in Bitcoin. Um, mm. Like empowering. And there was a, there was a really good podcast by with Andreas Antonopoulos in, and in it he said that um, an IoT future which was controlled by users would be a good future if you have control over the technology i'm paraphrasing terribly but the an iot future where which is controlled by governments and corporations is obviously very dystopian and something we don't want so i was thinking that we really as people who are trying to be more autonomous and have more self-control over stuff right which is why we want bitcoin why people want to run nodes um you know we should also be able to like build our own uh hardware wallets and points of sale and retrofit vending machines and candy candy machines and whatever else to accept bitcoin so and there wasn't really anyone uh working on those like two or three people who, who were experimenting with microcontrollers at that time um so i'd done some electronics with the kids uh when i was teaching so i, I had just very rough knowledge of electronics so then i sat down and i started uh making things with the first i made a candy machine so i went to the first <laughs> lightning hack day this is very important, actually, that um, and a big shout out to Fulmo, uh, who organized the first Lightning Hack Day. Lightning Lab suffers for supporting it as well. Um, and then, uh, and, and Blockstream as well, because Christian Dagger was there as well, but and uh, Christian Rutzel as well, who's heavily involved in organizing that. So when Lightning kind of first came out, so, you know, you're involved in the Bitcoin world, and, and then obviously scaling's an issue, and uh, we have the, the, the block size wars and all that stuff. And then we come out <laughs> the other side, and, you know, we have Segway, and now we have a Lightning Network. And then, the first kind of event I really went to was that lightning, that first lightning hack day in Berlin, and uh, it was a blank canvas of possibility. Lightning was a blank canvas of possibility, and everyone was exchanging ideas. You could build this, you could build that, uh, and there were people there who'd built like nodes into stuff. So they had a Raspberry Pi, and they had like a candy machine, and they had the nodes. So the idea at that point was that everything would have a lightning node in, and they would all have channels to each other, all these IoT devices. But for mm. me, I was like, well, that doesn't seem very practical. Like you really want your money node somewhere very secure and yeah. you know in the back office and then whatever 
is running off it. It's like a secondary device running off it. So, so that's why I realized you could use the microcontrollers to like request an invoice from the um, from the node, then display the invoice. And then, you know, once it's been paid, it can turn something on like the motor for the candy machine. Uh, so I started working on that. I met um, George. I mean, I, my developing skills were very minimal. Um, so I was really learning on the job. It took me six months to get a QR code on a little e-paper screen. Because um, that <laughs> what, point, what year was, was that, Ben? R- roughly. Yeah, no, no, it'd be later than sixteen. It must be later than sixteen. Probably two thousand eighteen. When did Lightning Network get start properly going off? It's probably two thousand eighteen. Eighteen, yeah. No, no. Was it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's been coming up to six years now since we're going to two thousand twenty four. So I think it was it was early two thousand eighteen. Yeah, right. yeah, it must have been two thousand eighteen. <clears throat> yeah. So that so it was then. Um and then uh yeah. But Obviously, like honestly, like this is why anyone who organizes any sort of hack day event, um, I have as much time for them as possible. Anyone who does any education, uh, because you know, people need access, like me, I needed access to the right information at the right time, and all yeah. these Bitcoiners do. Um, and then getting, you know, like realizing that you can contribute back, and although your skill set is minimal, that um because of the encouragement encouragement around you you then make the the effort to build your skill set and then you start to become a contributor which actually has something valuable to bring to the table um and i think that's uh anyone who like helps that process um i've got a lot of time for um so you know the bolt fun stuff now we have with uh which john's organizers uh, i think is super important as well and then more and more of these conferences are starting to have hack spaces and maker spaces um which i, I think are, are, are important also and have a lot of value anyway so i made the oh yeah so i met uh george uh Fasaro in new york and he was we were we were talking so i asked i wanted basically like when you start to build a thing it could be anything you've got an idea for something and then you know in your head it's just a, an idea i want to you know candy machine which can you know generate an invoice and i can pay the invoice and no, sorry. I want a candy machine which runs on Lightning. Yeah. And then as soon as you start building it, you're like, well, okay, now I need a screen to display an invoice. <laughs> the screen needs to be a certain size because the invoices are quite big, so QR code. And then you're like, well, this sucks. Like, surely, with computers the way they are, like, why do I have to have a screen on this candy machine? It's, it's not the most effective way of paying this thing. It's just because the protocol um, is dictating that I have to request an invoice and pay an invoice. Um, it's a whatever it is a push or a pull payment whatever it is um and uh so I, we were asking christian decker whether they were going to implement um static qr code uh static qr codes for payments and he was like mm. yeah it's obviously something which people want but it's way down on the list and then um george hacked into a claire wallet and got a claire wallet so if it received if it scanned a url in a qr code it would do a get request to that URL and then it got back an invoice and it would pay that invoice and then mm. retrofitted a little arcade machine so it, would, it could do that. And then you had the static QR code and you could scan it, pay it, scan it, pay it, scan it, pay it, and it would add like a coin drop in the, in the arcade machine. And that was very early on. That was like 2018, 19 or something. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that was, it was funny because I, I was bugging him for ages that we turn that into a, um, some sort of protocol or something. And then, um, it, he he just didn't have time to do that 
and I actually wrote a little write-up on it. it was the, I put it in the wrong place, put it on the Bitcoin, Bitcoin um, mailing list. I should have put it on the Lightning mailing list. But I, I said, you know, that it'd be it, it'd be useful if wallets shared a standard where they could stand, scan a static QR code, do a get request, get an invoice, and then ask if you want to pay the invoice. It pays the invoice um, as a payment flow. And I gave a bunch of reasons as to why 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 that was useful. And then uh, no one no one actually messaged me back. The only person who did message me back was. Um, was Fiatraf. It was my first interaction with Fiatraf. I can't remember what he said, but it was very encouraging, which I thought was funny. But anyway, he started working on the LNURL protocol, which has LNURL pay-in, which is very similar to that. So mm. I would say on that hack day that George did the first LNURL pay. Um, but it, it's you find that when you start building stuff and you start making stuff, that our little community of builders and makers is actually quite small. And then you start rubbing shoulders with the same people again and again, like you go into a new telegram group for something and then it's all the same it's usual suspects you know it's all the same people <laughs> like, okay we go another room with the same people um but it means you've got quite a nice sense of community and actually like you know there's some obviously we have some incredibly legitimate talented developers that's why bitcoin is so valuable is the value of the, the engineers and the people who actually work on the thing um but uh if you just like to turn up in some telegram group or some conference and you say i have an idea i need someone to help me with this idea how do i do this can you do this for me can you do that for me then developers like oh, fuck off. I'm time. Okay. if you try to build something and even if it's terrible but you've put the effort in to try and build something that efforts that effort is uh visible and mm. If you go in somewhere like a Telegram or whatever or on social media or whatever and you say, oh, I built this thing, it's crap, but, you know, I might have someone helping me with you or, or maybe just having a look at the code and see if we can improve it. You'll find that you'll get a really encouraging response from developers because they've all been there themselves at some point and they've all had like a kind word and a helping hand from somebody. And you find that the person who's writing crap code and, you know, hardly able to build something now with a little bit of encouragement in a year or two years time, they're, you know, they're, like I said before, they're a valuable contributor. Um, so yeah, I, it's actually like Bitcoin development, uh, developer scene sometimes get a ba- gets a bad rap for be- for being not very welcoming, but I would say mm. that it's incredibly welcoming if you actually show that you're putting in a little bit of effort. Uh, anyway, the hardware stuff, um it soon became obvious that like so say if i made a point of sale i'd have to have multiple versions of it for all these lightning nodes and uh, on different lightning implementations and, and custodial lightning services so i needed like a middle layer like an api where that could handle the connections to whatever funding sources underneath and i can just develop for that middle layer um and that's one of the, the founding ideas behind alan bits um mm. and then there also at that time there was open node and there was LMPay, which were a very good easy custodial services you could build on top of you could build projects on top of but i really wanted something free and open source and then something i could run myself um as well um and then i also had this idea of this ex- extension framework so i wanted to be able to like extend i really liked with the wordpress approach of having something simple and yeah. then extending it you out build on top it, of it. yeah building on top of it um, and i think that's useful for when you have um a uh when you have a, a, a whole bunch of users who've got different needs like with you know building words or like a website if you use wordpress you can extend it in whatever direction is relevant to you using the plugin system and then with alan bits i was like well you can extend it you know in a direction that's relevant to you and as if all these um plugins and we call them extensions before they've all got a, an api which is then exposed then it also makes this thing really useful for 
people building software and projects on top of uh, LMBits as well. Um, so we very much like admired that WordPress approach. Um, and and now, if you look at a lot of the projects out there, they've all you know the fairly mid BT pay server. They're all they're all catching up and they're all starting to implement uh, plugin systems because clearly that's the best way to do it. You have a core, and then you add the modules, you add the plugins on top. Um, but yes, and then LMBits just evolved. Like you know, again, it's that thing where if if you I remember hearing an interview. I think it was the Instagram guy. I was hearing an interview with the Instagram guy, and, and um, he was saying about how he tried to second guess uh, what people would want. What can I build that people want? And he did that <laughs> thing. You know, you sit around thinking, what What's the next big great idea? And then he just didn't have a good idea, and, and a lot of his ideas worked. And then he was like, Oh, fine, I'm just going to build something for myself, and I'm just going to build, you know, something I think is cool, which I find useful. And then he yeah. did that, and that was Instagram. And like the the as a development approach, I think that's the best thing to do. You just build something for yourself, which you think is cool, thinks useful, and there's guarantee there's going to be you know hundreds of thousands of other users out there who will also find that thing useful and cool. So, uh, Ellen Bits, um, uh, because obviously it came out of that maker scene, and we had a lot of contributors early on. Um, someone like Fiat Jaff, Enico, uh, they came on really early on. Um, it meant, uh, and then also uh, Tal, who's with us, still with us now. Um, it, it, yeah, it meant that it, 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 the, the software kind of quite rapidly progressed and turned into something pretty usable. Um, it's still beta, it was still beta software and it's still buggy, but it was pretty usable. And uh, yeah, there was just lots of people who needed the same thing. They needed like a common API which they could build for and then not have to worry when they switch node implementations, not have to refactor all of whatever they built on top. Or they wanted something just to play around with fun functionality on their node, you know, like, uh, you know, you install your, 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 your lightning node on raspberry blitz and then if you enable LMBit, suddenly you've got access to a dozen extensions at that time or a couple of dozen extensions which allow your node to do a whole bunch of crazy crazy things like make jukeboxes and points of sale and um do gam- make little gambling qr codes and all sorts of fun stuff make withdrawal links and blah blah um and uh yeah so then it was really just like a hobby project we were all working on for fun um and then it was when all the El Salvador stuff kicked off, Ibex started using Elembits uh, for products. Uh, and at that time, it was so buggy. We were like, yes, please, please don't use Elembits. It's it's terrible. It will break and you'll lose all your money. But it was a big wake up call for us. That, and I think every free and open source project had, I mean, like, you know, like uh, uh, Linux had this. Like, it's, it's your software is like a fun hobby project. You don't really care about, you know, and everyone likes it, so no one's attacking it, and, and, and there's not that hardening process. There's um, no investor pressure. Where, where are the, the profits, Ben? Where are the profits? Yeah, you just do. You <laughs> see what you want to freestyle, freestyling, <laughs> having fun. But then, when start people using that in production, you're like, oh, okay, damn it. Now I feel responsible, and we need to get this thing <laughs> actually out of beta at some point, um, and then make it production ready so people can actually use it for, you know, securely. Um, so that process then led uh, a bunch of the core developers. We set up a, a company, LN Bits Inc. And then we spent probably the, like, it was the last sort of 18 months really doing that. So getting the core software to a point where it's production ready and we can pull it out of beta. The last PR we have um, to merge, I think the last big PR, uh, Vladstan, uh, he's written a login system. So we finally have that login system, but it's sick because we've got OAuth in there as well. So you can log in with your GitHub account, whatever. Um, 
and uh, yeah, that's I think that's the final piece of Alan Bits. The the core software we've had some great contributions. So we have like you know, uh, Stick from um, Satoshi Labs. He's he's contributing regularly. Um, yeah, we got we got great developers. Um, Kali, of course, you know Kashu Kali. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then DNI as well, who's working on the uh, bolts. Uh, so yeah, we and, and I mean I, 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 the list goes on. You know, I could I could reel off a, a whole bunch of names. Um, but it means that we can take core and bits now. We can get that out of beta. It's production. It will be production ready. Um, we can you know we can get it once that happens. We can get the thing audited. Oh, we're also developing to um to Nix now as well. So we we have a Nix flake which is running and is working. And although not everyone wants to use Nix, Nix is so pedantic when it comes to dependencies that um, if we build and we can run our Nix, then you know our, our Python poetry build or our, um, our pip build or whatever else, it, 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 that's going to be guaranteed to be to work well. So then mm. we can get it audited. We're going to spend a little bit of money getting it audited. Um, we've also pulled out all the extensions because originally they were all packaged in and we just pretended to install them, but now they've all pulled out. So now you can actually have that WordPress experience. And we've built the the framework so we can have you know developers can create an extension on a repo they're in separate repo they're in separate issues they're in separate pull requests and then uh, people can then download and install that that extension so yeah it's very cool very cool that's the i would say that's the journey <laughs> well the the journey sounds very exciting and, and and i'm sure there's been a lot of other things that ha- haven't been tapped on and, and and are yet to come but but certainly i mean it, it must feel good how essentially uh, one thing I, I like to, to touch upon how you said the story with the Instagram guy, how like instead of looking outwards, what to create, focus on yourself inwards, fix something for yourself and then share it with the world. I think that resonates really well. And, and essentially in your case, how you were looking essentially f- f- from that candy machine to, to where you are today. Um, it, it's pretty fascinating. And, and then on the topic of kind of building this this blank canvas I mean, there's so many different use cases coming up with 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 Ellen Bits on a monthly basis, and and recently, I think you've 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 done also you know, there was workshops in Japan, and how was that kind of? How would you see the development and kind of what are some cool use cases that that you really found kind of like oh wow that's that sounds really cool because I'm sure so, there's so, many of them. Yeah, so like there's a whole bunch of kind of um, uh, core ideas which Alan Bits was built on top of, such as having like a common API uh, and then having that extension framework. Part of the extension framework idea was that if you have a cool idea or if there's some new technology like LNURL or Nostr or something, um, hmm. you can rapidly deploy an extension and then people who have Alan Bits installables installed, they will see that extension, they can install it and they can make, and it's you know just a few clicks, and make and make use of that new functionality. So, you know, a lot of our extensions, like the jukebox extension, it was a great little project sitting on some GitHub repo without anyone using it because you'd have to, you know, install just this separate little application. Um, we turned it into, uh, we worked with the, the developer and um, we, he turned it and helped us turn it into an LM bits extension. So now anyone can just go in and enable and then get that functionality. And it drives a lot more traffic to to the project, you know. Um, uh, and actually, in time as well, like I think that premium extensions would be really interesting. So you know, just like WordPress, yeah, you could make an extension, charge people, you know, twenty thousand sats or something to unlock the extension, or maybe slithers a functionality in the extension. Um, mm. I think it would be very powerful. Uh, but 
What was the question? Sorry, I've, I've, I went on a little rant then. And I lost, with, lost, with, with, different with, with different use cases that are ah, being built on top use of. Cases. Yeah, Nostar. Yeah. So because of that, um, we make it as easy as possible to deploy an extension, and we're making it easier all the time. Uh, and soon we'll have light extensions, which will make it really easy to kind of like rapidly prototype and build on top, build an extension on LM bits. Um, so that means that we're always cutting edge. Like as soon as the LNUR stuff happened, you know, for like two years, uh, LM bits was the only way you could like create <laughs> LNUR withdrawals and pays in a non-custodial way if you're running LM bits yourself. Um, and uh, it's the same with the Nostra stuff as well. You know, like uh, so I mean, Nostra and so, Alambits has always had like a very close relationship with Nostra. That was my next um, question, but go for it, Ben. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we we um, one of the first extensions I made uh, during COVID for Alambits was uh, an extension called Diagon Alley, and Diagon Alley was an idea for a censorship resistant marketplace, hmm. and it achieved censorship resistant by being having resilient. I had this. I was always thought about market. I don't. I'm not like a big dark market guy or anything, right? but the, I think it comes from that prisoner dilemma of how can you buy and sell something in like a trustless way without a trusted third party, and in a way which is private and has censorship resistance. Um, and Good question. Uh, yeah, and and then I, I I kept thinking about it, and then I I really like Pirate Bay, and I was like, its resilience is by it being easy to spin up. Um, uh, the architecture, which means that it's just whack-a-mole and it's, it's overwhelming mm. for whatever, which whichever um, legal entity to try and to try and take the thing out. And I was thinking that marketplace should probably be like that, um, and that the for users to be able to control their data as well. So one of the biggest inconveniences of a marketplace if it gets taken down, like a dark market, for example, is everyone loses their data and they have to go and rebuild it all on some other platform. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so that was the idea of Diagon Alley, and, and it had a very basic kind of proof of concept UI and stuff, but it, it didn't have a front end client, so the actual marketplace you would go and visit to buy the things. It was more this is to show that in LM Bits you can actually launch an extension which isn't, isn't finished yet, um, and say, look, demo this people and see what you think. Um, no, really, no one cared about it. Everyone, no one said anything about it. But the only person who did was Fiat Jaff. He liked it. <laughs> um and uh we worked to try and make it into something of a protocol but at that point i mean my my computer science skills were very um they're still not great you know but they were they were much weaker then so i didn't, I wasn't capable of doing that so um uh, we cobbled something together but um anyway so when fiat jeff made nostra and then he pulled me in on the nostra the original nostra group this must have been the first you know first people the first people in the group in the telegram group um I said, oh, I was like, you know, this is this is this is a lot like that Diagon Alley thing. He's like, oh yeah, that's one of the influences which went into uh, into Nostra. So instantly, I was hooked. I was like, well, okay, well, you know, I have I have some ownership over this thing. You know, it was a part of the influence, which, the thing which influenced the creation of Nostra. It means, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I, I basically invented Nostra. You know, what I mean? so whole oh, founder. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I, want, I want half. Um, so, uh, but then it was like. Obviously, you know, the marketplace thing can then be built on this new paradigm we have where users have access to public key crypto and they take control of their data and then the architecture of the system is inconsequential. So you get sensory resistance through resilient um, infrastructure, uh, 
but so anyway, so so I was playing around with Nasta, and at that time it was very computer sciencey, um, and so we had some like crappy uh, clients, examples of clients. So the first thing I did is I I cloned the Twitter UI and I made like the first Twitter client, which actually looked like Twitter, and that was kind of cool actually because the Twitter obviously has DMs, and I was like, well, I want DMs. Um, uh, and then Jaffe was like, oh no, I hate DMs. I don't want DMs. So I was like, no, we need DMs. So then uh, we quickly, I quickly knocked out the Nepo for um, DM, uh, the Nip for for you know encrypting messages to each other. Everyone hates it now because obviously it leaks a little <laughs> bit of metadata, so it's not ideal. But at the time it was like, well, that's better than DMing someone on Nos- on uh, Twitter. So whatever, I don't care. Um, Anyway, and, and uh, I had a lot of help with that. So uh, Fusion Forty Four, another great developer involved in the maker scene, he came in and he helped me helped me a lot with the the Nostra Twitter. And uh, I actually remember like me being sat in my shed, not this shed, a different shed. And <laughs> um, when we first cracked the the DMs, so we could just get the messages to appear in the right place, you know, when they were as you were DMing, DMing each other using Nippo Four, while it was still, I think, probably a PR. And it's like excitingly typing to each other. Oh, this is, yeah, this is cool. Like it's totally working. We suddenly <laughs> encrypt the messages to each other. And now every single time I DM someone, I'm like, yeah, I did that first bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the uh, yeah, so we, I made that. And I think that was kind of cool because n- normal people were like, oh, wow, this thing. I mean, at that point, like NOSTA users were very, I mean, you couldn't run it now. That it would, it would get overwhelmed instantly by the data coming from relays. But at that point it would run and uh i think it was cool because people were like okay this isn't entirely different to twitter and what you're telling me this thing is running without a twitter corporation that's that's crazy um fiat jaff forked that uh into branel uh i was working on Alan bits and didn't we fell out a little bit over it because he has developers do so he uh <laughs> he thought that he made branel for for a while uh and tidied it up and that was really great for a long time branel was kind of the go-to functional app for uh nostra but again as it scaled like it just wasn't it wasn't built with the the amount of content um which we had now have going through nostra um so thankfully at that point you know uh people like will um and marty malmi and people like that started to come in and build clients and kieran as well from snort and then you had the jack dorsey stuff um, yeah. And then you had that sort of explosion, that Cambrian explosion of Nostra clients, social Nostra clients. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, the dozen people who were in that original Nostra group, again, it was like Lightning Network. It's that blank canvas of possibility. We theorized all these different use cases for Nostra. So, you know, I think it's like the fourth issue on the Nostra uh, repo. And that's, I was proposing uh, Uber. So having geolocation. <laughs> There's a note type. I'm a taxi driver. You're a, also I'm a client. You're a taxi driver, and I say I want a taxi from here. You're listening for notes with a geolocation within a certain rate, uh, within a certain tolerance, and then if you're seeing the tolerance, you pull that note down and you say, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'll be a taxi, and then I say, okay, cool. How much? And we're just sort of sending messages to each other, DMing each other, but through a you know like an Uber type client, um, yeah. because geolocation, I can have open street maps, so I can see where your little taxi is and all that crap. So. And then you come pick me up, we make the transaction, could be in Bitcoin, could be in whatever. Anyway, so that was like one thing which we theorized. And then like things like local Bitcoins um, and marketplaces and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff, even like delivering websites, I think we talked about at one point. Um, hmm. Dolo talked about that. Dolu talked about that. Um, 
Uh, so using it instead of, you know, getting post requests, just using Nostra notes to be able to deliver content. So there's some really interesting sort of theorizing early on over what you could build with Nostra and, and, it, and even on the social networking side as well, we were talking about algorithms and the, the impact that the surveillance capitalism stuff has on social networks currently, you know, all that stuff. And um, Super it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of cool then to see all that stuff being built over the past year since the we've had all the extra attention um, on, on Nostra. And, and now we're able to, you know, deliver clients because we have the tool link. We have the, you know, things like Allen Bits where we can build uh, a, a decent Nostar marketplace client and, and Vladstan has done that. It's incredible. It's, we have the front end marketplace, which really is just a dumb framework. You subscribe to uh, groups of merchants, so their public keys or a merchant, whatever. And then that then just is populated with their products and you can just buy products. Um, and you have traditional, you know, like e-commerce experience. Hmm. But the, the cool thing is the merchant and client can actually just both be running it locally they could just be both running on locally on their local machines because they're just connected as long as they can connect to a web socket as long as they have internet connection they're good um peer-to-peer -peer shopping <laughs> pardon peer-to-peer -peer shopping yeah exactly yeah it's peer-to-peer -peer. and the, the cool thing is it's bankless so like mm. if you look at e-commerce on the internet it's always had well, for most of it it requires a bank account particularly if you're buying digital if you're not in the same geolocation somewhere you can just go and pay cash um yeah it requires bank accounts which means that all of these platforms they have surprisingly low user figures like amazon has 300 million users um and i guess with amazon you've also got the infrastructure issues as well that like you need the warehouses to store all the goods whatever but yeah they they have even ebay has i think ebay has it's less than amazon um the amount of users but then you know something like facebook is 3.5 billion users and the amount of people use i don't know what the stats are on facebook marketplace but i imagine it's probably higher than amazon so i, I really think that whatever e-commerce platform exists on the internet it has to be uh bankless it has to be something which can run bitcoin um, you could of course do like cash sales as well like in-person cash sales or it could also be banked there's nothing to say you can't have a visa payment um and then have it run over you know over Nostra, I'm just not sure it's going to happen for a while, but um, just that potential to be able to have a bankless e-commerce um, uh, platform on the internet, I think is, you know, with, with digitally native money, um, I think is really, really interesting. Uh, so Nostra Market NIP15, uh, again, because it's interoperable as well, you know, the content which you're selling, uh, this is one of the great strengths of with Nostra in general, actually, is that the network effect say if you build a new platform so if i build like an e-commerce solution software right then my biggest hurdle is getting people to use the thing so there's actually stuff on there for people to buy um mm. same with social networking too like the biggest hurdle is you're gonna have to get users so there's actually something interesting for people to look at and then it's kind of like a chicken and egg issue you know um and there were hacks, you know, like originally with something like Facebook, when you logged in with Facebook, you would log in with your email and then you would authorize Facebook to email everyone in your email list um, to go and access, go and log into your emails and then email everybody you know and say, Ben's on Facebook, can you also join Facebook? And that's the way wow. in which they got that user effect. Yeah, I know, exactly. that's a hack which you're not going to be able to repeat. Spamming in the... the no privacy. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> and it was just, it was only because like nobody had done that before, so they managed to get away with it. Um, but yeah, so whatever comes next, 
and it will be, you know, some, some de obviously free and open source and decentralized uh, solutions without trusted third parties win out eventually. But whatever that solution is, it has to have that user network effect by things being interoperable. Um, so you can build a Nostra, you know, social networking client and you've got access to, you know, 400,000 users, 400,000 active users, which is what uh, Nost has as um, running right now. All you've got to do is convince them to use your particular, you know, the, the first person who goes on your platform and uses it, they will see content because you can pull in a global feed of content um, that mm. already exists um, and, and, and make use of those users. Um, and it's similar with, with e-commerce as well. Like we've built a traditional marketplace client. It's kind of like Etsy, but you can have like a Facebook marketplace. Uh, you can have products appearing, you know, Amethyst or Damas or whatever it's implemented, NIP15 is implemented into. Victor from Amethyst is actually very keen on, on NIP15 and, and implementing um, Nostra markets into Amethyst. And I think that'd be cool. Hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think there's some exciting work to, to happen there. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that. All right, so yeah, Alan Bits is easy to develop on. So when the Nostra thing happened, it became like a really useful tool very quickly. Um, uh, Vladstam built a one-click relay solution, um, which so you can spin up a Nostra relay, uh, which is built from scratch. It's sick, and hmm. um, you can you can do a bunch of stuff in it. So you can have it can allow ban lists for public keys. There's also you know a pay to join thing, so you can charge people to join your relay. And then you can charge people per megabyte of storage on your relay as well. Um, so it's very functional. And all those, and it's, it's like three clicks and you've, you've spun up a relay, uh, an wow. Oster relay, and you can start using it in Alambits. Yeah, so stuff like that. You know, it's like if you have it in Alambits installed, then it's quite exciting that every couple of months you see this new extension go, and it's usually something Oof. relevant and in vogue <laughs> at the time. And uh, you're like, oh, okay, cool, and you enable it, and then you, you get all this extra functionality. And of course, you can access all that stuff programmatically. So if you're building, if you've built like Cali for LN Tips in the Telegram bot, which he built, um, every time there's a new extension added to LN Bits, it's something potentially, it's functionality potentially he could offer to his users. You know, hmm. it's it's no, uh, just to touch upon, you touched on uh, upon uh, a few interesting things. Going back to e-commerce, I mean. As easy as it is today for the average Joe to be selling whatever you want, if if it's items that are smaller values and going through to the through the traditional routes of having your Squarespace or Wix shop or whatever, you mentioned kind of one hurdle, which is having a bank account. Which, let's face it, a lot of the world people don't even have bank accounts yet. That's not even the the, the stopping spot. Then you need the PayPal account. Then you need another intermediary account. Pay this fee. Pay that fee. There's so many fees that you need Everyone to pay. Gets which slice of the cake. Yeah. Everybody gets a slice of the cake, and then in the end, you're left with with peanuts. So, yeah. kind of, th th there's so many hurdles which which are just unethical in the way that people should be dealing for business. You know, peer to peer, yeah. as we said, this is not corporations. They, I mean, they, they can please and do what they want, but I mean that the average person selling his homemade, I don't know, cookies, t-shirts, whatever it is, should not be going through this hassle. So, so it's fascinating to see that things are being built and. As you said, every few months, some new integrations, some new extensions coming out that you can connect and kind of scale up your ideas and, and, and be interoperable, that's, which that's, is, which I mean, is that the goal. In, co in commerce, that's the easy money is the middleman attack, isn't it? You, yeah. you, that's, you that's, sit there that's, and that's take your cuts and that's that. That's how you become Jeff Bezos and on your way to become <laughs> the world's first trillionaire. And you can't say that that's the most efficient system 
for buying and selling things when there's such huge amounts of value going up and not actually into the hands of the producers who are producing the things. So like a lot of the producers in the world, this is cool with the El Salvador stuff because like in El Salvador, there's a lot of coffee producers, local coffee producers. Yeah. They haven't got bank accounts. And one of the reasons they get ripped off is because they don't have banks. So they have to, in the supply chain, there's that bridge where they're, somebody is giving them cash for their coffee. Um, mm. And then they're then in the banking system and selling the coffee, you know, with that banking system attached. Um, so you, you, there's just so many opportunities for people to, to cream a little bit off the top, you know, and take a little bit of money. Whereas, and I'm not saying you'll be buying your coffee. Well, I mean, Christ, you probably you could. This is the crazy thing. You could. It probably makes sense to buy a lot of coffee, but you could, you could buy some coffee off a coffee producer in El Salvador, paying Sats, and then they could just post it to you um, directly. Direct. And there's no bank accounts. Um, there's a in Switzerland. A bunch of people messaged me for Lugano, uh, the conference in Lugano, because there's an El Salvador um, coffee uh, merchant uh, or coffee van, and they were um, selling bags of coffee, and they were using our POS, our software POS, for the sales, <laughs> and they were also using the split payments extension. So when they were selling coffee in directly in Lugano, the producers of the coffee were getting their cut straight away wow um, and so real you have time. that in, yeah real time so at point of sale and i I'm, I'm obsessed with this stuff so i can go on about this forever <laughs> but um at point of sale you have real time settlement of, of payments to the producers and anyone else who's involved in the operation and it meant that the coffee producers were getting five times what they would get if the if they were selling on the open coffee you know on the open market um, wow. through the traditional supply chain system five times so that is a huge incentive um but yeah no split payments man we can change the world this is the crazy thing like so split payments during uh covid um oh what's his name crypto graffiti um he wanted to do a dj set and have a qr code on the screen <laughs> so you could pay him tip him while he's in the dj set well fiat jack built the extension for lm bits it's called come on what it's called it's in there you'll be able to find it true off oh, christ dj something maybe anyway but in this we went you know the extra mile so when you tip if you tip enough you'll get as, as a receipt you'll get a link to be able to go and download the song which he's playing <laughs> um but as well as that when you tip 10% goes to the DJ and then 90% goes to the music producer. Well, the Allen Bits community, they, 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 they immediately like were really inspired by the splitting part of that extension mm. where you're doing a split payment at point of sale. So we made just that um, a, a payment splitting extension. So it keeps an eye on a wallet and any funds which go into that wallet, it can push it to other wallets in Allen Bits or it can push it to an Allen URL pay or an Allen address. Um, but what's so what's so you can set up a little coffee shop with coffee shop's a good example with your friends um, and then you pre-decide like who's going to get what percentage you know every time there's a purchase of coffee but when it comes to so i can't help but be you know sometimes a bit of a lefty and i like the idea of cooperatives right i like the idea of cooperatives i think they're fair i think but well, they're really hard and they don't make any sense and they don't work and it's much easier just to have a dictator right and and like a hierarchical um 
uh, feudalist structure, like a corporate structure. But I like the I, I like the concept. I think it's something. If a cooperative would work, you know, if if it was e- if they were easier to run and they worked, then people would be better off. Um, and if they were, you know, competing in a free market, then whatever, you know, it's it's like a free and open source way to do uh, production. Um, anyway, so um, for me, I was like, well, you know, you can scale that up. So maybe I go and buy a laptop one day, and then at point of sale, because it's micro payments. So at point of sale, the payment splits across you know, manufacturing, distribution, supply, uh, and marketing, whatever. And then when it goes to these different um, different departments. It's then get split again. So marketing, you know, gets split between the internet marketers. I don't know, different departments of marketing, but whatever the different departments <laughs> of marketing. So basically, like, because it's all speed of light, isn't this? It's just data traveling down, you know, fiber optic cables at the speed of light. When I pay for my laptop, the cleaner on the shop floor in the factory has some Sats or my or <laughs> microsats, whatever, pop into their wallet at point of sale. Then. Um, you know the money streaming in. This is my this is my Bitcoin utopian time of kind. This is what we could do. Full with the circular economy. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yes. Yeah, like this is micro payments. It's just a concept of micro payments. This is what could be possible because so much of the way in which our, our society has been built um, and, and and the apparatus and the, the general structure is based on the legacy payment. Um, the inefficiency inefficiencies of legacy payment rails such as Visa, such as you can't do small transactions, right? So you get these yeah. micropayments. And now you've got that money streaming into the, the cleaner on the shop floor. And then and this is all based on percentages, isn't it? So one week the cleaner gets less money and then the cleaner's like, Well, why have I got less money? And then, you know, the factory workers like, Well, you know, we decided that everyone voted and they wanted more money to go to <laughs> um r&d because we need to you know develop something new and then the, the cleaner's like well i get that but i want more money now and then the, the, the guy on the factory floor he's like well yeah but this way you know it's an investment we'll get more money in a month or two blah 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 and then you end up with this social consciousness where people want to get involved in the production on the production layer within mm. with, with microtransactions it's just it's just like a utopian idea i think it'd be really interesting i mean again in a in a company or a corporation or a business, the 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 flow of money through that company, if you can get in the middle of that flow and do that middleman attack, it's one of the best ways to harvest some value. Uh, it's the the easiest way to make money, right? Um, without having to do as, as much work. So, I feel the more efficient production uh, systems probably would have money flowing through them like water, and and just landing in people's pockets when there is a sale um yeah so i'm upset i love all that stuff and another one would be uh taxes so when i buy that laptop you know 20 percent we have vat in the uk yeah 20 percent goes to government the cool thing about bitcoin stuff right is we can have privacy we can you know if we if we work for it we can have privacy pseudo anonymity whatever um but the uh the state um they we can have complete transparency so when i and again this is like another i like direct action but this is another uh so when i make that sale when i buy that laptop like 20 percent goes to vat goes to the government but instead of the person the company selling me the laptop instead of them having to manage their taxes at the end of the year they can just pay all those taxes. If it's, VAT is like one of the easiest forms of tax, right? They can just pay all those taxes at point of sale. Um, 
Hmm. When they buy the laptop, and then they have to, they don't have to do as much money management work towards the end of the year. It makes things easier for them. But what's even cooler? This is my, this is real utopia now. In my Lightning wallet, I have an option with my my percentages, and I'm like, okay, so when I pay my my value added tax on products and services, um, I want fifty percent to go to education, thirty percent to go to blah 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 and blah 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 blah. And then when I when that tax payment happens, you could have it split across those different departments of government. And then I think, again, it's social consciousness. It means that every single time you buy something, you're voting with your money where you want your money to be used um, mm. within your local... It's, I know it's like a, it's a, it's a topic which Bitcoiners don't want, really want to talk about because they just don't know paying taxes in general. That's fair enough. But I'm just saying, like, that, I think that would be pretty cool if you could, like, elect where your money actually goes in government. And then, because we have, you know... Um, these keys where we can we can track payments you can, can track. see where every single like micro set landed like this you know when you bought you know that laptop then this went to this pencil in this school and this went over here to you know this bullet and uh, that gun <laughs> I, I well that's what we currently have but i i, I think ben to, to jump in if if we would have such a case scenario a lot of these bitcoiners that are anti-tax would not have a have a problem paying it they might even be incentivized to be paying more because they know where their money is being spent. May that be education, right. may that be yeah. libraries, may that be yeah. help for the people. I think I've had this conversation I'm, I'm, with I've had this conversation with uh, Swiss Bitcoiners and Swiss Bitcoiners. Mm. I'm not going to say all of them, but um, uh, the ones I spoke to, they were saying that they they always find it like perplexing and weird when Bitcoiners go on about hate, how they hate paying taxes. Because they said in Switzerland, they said they like it. They like paying taxes. They see the flowers <laughs> on the street. They see this, which is clean. They see that. And I think a big part of it is is just war. Like, mm. they know that, the, and it's also because they have that federated system. So they can, you know, a lot more of the money they pay in tax goes to their local uh, fed, their local uh, canton. Um, mm. But they know that that money which they put into that pot isn't going to go and be spent poorly. On the other on, side of the world on the other side of the world like killing some innocent people they yeah. know it's going to be spent in a way which is, is going to benefit them more locally and um yeah so so it, it is it is interesting that on taxes yeah if it's diff- a different form of tax which is fair as far as possible and you know keeps the roads working well the roads working well and put some flowers out to make it look pretty um and it isn't being spent on war that yeah you're probably right like none of less of us would have an issue with with taxes no, for sure, for sure. Um, what do I touch upon? I, I I had so many things I wanted to run past you, Ben, but 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 then we, we you took me on a on on your train of thought again. Um, so, so I'm kind of I'm, I'm recycling back, but maybe um, a good factor I want to touch upon is basically with 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 Noster going back to algorithms, which we mentioned earlier on, which I'm. Mm. I'm not that I'm against, but I really don't like. For example, today on Twitter, when when you go on Twitter, um, of course, we all have different Twitters, but I see that there's so much violence happening, and you see all these videos from all the wars going on, and I mean, just just people not being nice to other people, and and it's kind of discouraging for me. Like I'm slowly kind of, I just want to even unplug from Twitter because to me, I, I feel like I'm getting no value out of it. And then when I go to Noster and when I go into my Damas app, I don't use as much as as I should yet, but still. There's no hate. It, it, it's just kind of yeah. good feeling messages. And, and yeah, I think I agree, per, perhaps one thing, and I, this is what I wanted to check with you, Ben. From my understanding, there is no algorithms, right, at this point in time that are, in, that are embedded in, in the Nostra protocol or, or there are of, of a certain choice for clients or how does that work? 
Yeah, they totally are. Um, so it's the client, really, like how the client runs. So I think that there should be more of a marketplace of algorithms. Algorithms are useful. Like when you open that um, social networking client, you want to see content which is relevant to you. Um, yeah. Currently, it's less of an issue for us on Nostra because obviously with Bitcoin, so it's all relevant to us pretty much the content <laughs> on there. But for people who aren't, they're like, get these fucking Bitcoins to show. I don't want to hear anything about Bitcoin. I just want to you know, catch up Toxic. on some news and... Yeah, I just want to catch up on some normal stuff. Um, so, uh, but no, like you say, it's not that toxic. It's it's pretty. It's a, to me, uh, I use Amethyst. Uh, what client do you use? I use Damas because I'm on I'm on iOS. To me, Damethyst feels like uh, sorry, Damas Damethyst. To me, Amethyst <laughs> feels like um, it feels like kind of Reddit and Twitter mixed together. Um, okay. But no, algorithms are important because you, you want a global feed which is relevant to you. So. I know Rabble's doing work on this with his um, with Nos.social um, on you know those degrees of separation. So you get delivered a note in your client, which is from a friend of a friend or a friend of a friend of a friend or something. Um, and then even using relays as well, like maybe you have like interest specific relays, kind of like forums back in the day on on. Well, I still get forums, I suppose, on the internet, but maybe because we didn't underutilize the potential of relays. Maybe relays could have. Um, interest-specific relays where you're only going to get data which is relevant to you or something. I don't know. Um, and then use the AI as well maybe to to, to, to to block some keywords if you want. But I think that the point of um, – you have censorship in Nostra, but it's self-censorship. Um, hmm. And then you have freedom of movement. So you can – if you don't like the way a client's working, if you don't like the algorithm they use, and you can move to a different client. What I want – is say Damus or Amethyst for me to be able to actually go into settings and select the Rabble algorithm or do you know mm. what I mean? Um, or the GG algorithm and then have people build algorithms for delivering content and then be able to then micro um, uh, fine tune those things like in my client. Um, I, I think that our problem with algorithms, it's a bit like money. You know, money's a dirty word, but it's not a dirty word for us because we know that there's a pure form of money. And I think it's a bit like with social networking, algorithms are a dirty word. It's because the algorithms we're used to involve surveillance capitalism, involve us becoming turning into products um, without our consent, involve our data being sold and misused and owned by somebody else, and blah, blah, blah. It's devices which snoop on us. Whereas... In reality, it's just a way of trying to deliver content. You know, a, a good algorithm would just be delivering content which is relevant to you and your interests. And I think that's absolutely fine. Um, mm. But the, the, the key point is freedom of movement, because as soon as you don't like what an algorithm's doing or you don't like what a client's doing, you're like, ah, oh, whatever, I'll just use a different client. Pack up and go. And, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, NOS, this, is the, this is the other thing. So, like, quite often, if I ever hear a complaint about NOSTA, I'm like, okay, what client are you using? I won't, I, won't start dis, I won't start dissing clients, but I'll, your Nostra experience is very much pegged to your client. And if you're not mm. happy of, about your Nostra experience, try a different client. There's a bunch out there. Try them. Find the one which suits you. Find the, the sort of the way in which delivers messages to which suits you. Hopefully, we'll have um, the ability to fine tune and pick different algorithms. Um, but yeah, it's, it's free speech, freedom of movement, freedom of everything, um, freedom of association. Like it's it's. So, you know, free speech, freedom of associate, sorry, freedom of association, um, freedom of movement, uh, and uh, and of course, free speech. It's all about freedom, isn't it? Like we just before, we're trying to trying to freedom get of living. 
<laughs> freedom of living, yeah. And I, I, I want to touch upon another um, one more factor which I which I love, and and for some listeners who, especially in my native country where I'm based, most people when I talk talk to them about Noster, they go, "What? They're they're, they're totally clueless," and and then they think, you know, they, they go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and whatever client they get, they think that that's actually Noster. The, the, mm. the best thing is that, as you said, if you don't like a certain client, just move to another one. And the best part is you don't lose all your data. You just put in your 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 XPub, um, you log in, and, and essentially you've you've got you've got it all there. You don't have to go like switching from Facebook to Twitters to Instagrams, and you know going fresh, not having anything there. Which yeah. I, going back to interper- interoperability, which I find is kind of like your 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 soft spot, which which you kind of into want to intertwine and, and connect everything. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, no, and it's it, again. It, I mean, it applies to, um, yeah. I mean, it applies to all the the great things to be built on Nostra. Nostra is very similar to Bitcoin. It's not Bitcoin, and I think that's important that we separate the two out because quite often we have an urge as Bitcoiners to um, conflate them. You know, that mm. kind of happened with the Zap stuff as well. They go very well together. That you know, that that has to be said. It's like bread and butter, right? But um, it was funny because back in the day on Telegram, people actually got chucked off the Telegram group for talking about Bitcoin too much. Because uh, at that point in time, we didn't want to put off the non-Bitcoiners in the Telegram group. You know, we had some great developers who piled in for the Nostra stuff. And we didn't want to put them off by being crazy, crazy Bitcoiners going on about the state and this and that. Um, but so, but yeah, so that, that, that's important, I think, to remember. But they, they're very, very similar. And they're very similar in that it's a new, wonderful tool, but we don't really know how to use it. We don't know what we're using it for. We're like, oh, this thing's for building social media. And then, oh no, actually, you can build a marketplace or you can build an Uber. The more recent thing which I did in Japan was um, Nostar IoT. And it's so goofy that, like, this new paradigm we have um, of smart client dumb server uh, blows, like, the, the existing free and open source decentralized IoT solutions out of the water. Um, what's the name of it? My, my, it's not my, I'm thinking MySpace, but it's not MySpace. The leading, uh, one of the leading like free and open source IoT solutions, which is very well evolved, it's been around for decades, right? Um, you still need to run some server software and then open up ports on your on your router and blah, blah, blah. Um, so Nostra IoT, I demoed it in uh, in Japan and uh, BC, Black Coffee, he's the one who's been leading that and working on that. Absolutely fascinating, right? So uh, NIP 107, so like IoT. Um, I think it's 107. I think Fear Jeff might have changed it, but it was 107. Yeah, I hope it stays 107 because it obviously looks a bit like <laughs> IoT. But the idea is that, and this is going, and this is what's cool. It's kind of full full circle because you go back to that Andreas Antonopoulos quote that IoT that we control, we can have like a beautiful future, you know. Um, mm. So like these batteries behind me, which are for my my solar panels, which you, you know the audience won't be able to see because they're listening to it but i have some big batteries behind me which for my solar panels i want to i'm away from my um from my uh from my house and i want to check what the the battery levels are i want to just be able to dm my batteries and say what what you know what percentage are you at and then it dms me back and it, it tells me in you know in a <laughs> client which looks like an, a, an iot client um yeah. I want to be able to like turn on those lights in the evening when I'm on holiday to, to make it look like I'm at home or something and check the thermostat and maybe turn the thermostat up and down just by literally like we're used to DMing each other and sending each other messages and notes, but yeah. there's no reason that, you know, devices can't be doing this and making use of Nostra as well. And what it means is 
it's just so minimal like it's so minimally invasive like you literally you have a very simple front-end client um you have a key pair the device is just subscribed to your public key and whoever else is in the household you know your wife your kids whatever they want you want them to operate the the lights and then when you say you know light on you're literally just dming the thing with a, <laughs> a with a note with a, you know with a, a bit of data it's just saying you know an action on and the ball is true or something and then the lights go boop and they turn on it's so cool um and it was funny because it's like are we reinventing the wheel has this not already been done is there not a good solution for this already which exists um and then when you actually look into the solutions which do exist you're like no it seems and it's kind of the same thing with uh with Fiat Jeff when he first wrote that protocol it's like oh a social network actually has a chance of wit of working and then there was an analysis in the original protocol read me and it was just analysis of mastodon and Skullbutt and those other solutions which are out there and how it's just kind of weird that nobody's come across this Nostra concept before, that you, you just have these relays. Um, and then it's all client side, pretty much. Smart clients, smart you, smart clients, dumb, um, dumb servers. And uh, and then you connect them with WebSockets. I guess WebSockets weren't really there. They, they've only just really come by with the past decade. Um, so that might, might have been why it hadn't existed beforehand. But it's, it's kind of a new, new way of thinking. And, and yeah, it is relevant. Like, it could be potentially the way in which um, we communicate with our IoT devices. If you look, so I forgot to mention, so current IoT software, say if you, I know I downloaded, uh, I, I bought um, uh, some garden lights and uh, they were like an IoT garden light thing connected to the internet. And they were, they were like a cross-platform thing. So I go and try and find the least like creepy IoT software I can find on, on, on the Android app store. And, uh, they were all creepy. They were all like harvesting data, net- sending network data back to wherever. And I found the one which is the least creepiest, but it's still too creepy for my liking. Uh, I want, you know, like just an encrypted conversation with those lights and tell them to turn on and off and that's it. I don't, I don't want anything else. Um, and that's possible with Nostar. So that's the latest thing which we built on Nostar, which is sick. And I want to, wow. um, uh, I should knock out a video tutorial in the next couple of days. And I want to start like building some stuff using Nostar IoT. Yeah, no, definitely showing in real life, and the, the the best thing is the simplicity, right? Not not having to to go and do a computer science degree to 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 set up your your, your smart house, but essentially just one afternoon yeah. plug plug a few things, input it, and 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 then you're ready, and then no more hassling the kids. Oh, go switch off the lights upstairs. Go bring me this. Go check that. What's the water yeah. meter? It's fascinating. Yeah, and it's, it's fascinating. It's that, like you say, that not having a computer science degree. It also applies to development. So one of the reasons in which Bitcoin is so successful um, is because it's permissionless. Anyone can, even if you can't develop, right? You, you can go do spend you know a couple of days doing a Python course. You yeah. can go build something which engages with Bitcoin and uses Bitcoin in some sort of way. You make a payment, whatever. Um, and uh, you have that permissionless development environment, and then the good ideas will just rise. You know, as a free and open source culture in 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 Bitcoin, that exists. The exact same thing exists in Nostra. You don't need anyone's permission. You can just go build whatever you want, like whenever you want. Um, uh, which means that you just have all this traction, and like people, for, as a hobby, they wanna they wanna build cool new things, and they wanna break new ground. Um, they wanna be cutting edge. They want to build things which are useful and long and invasive and make their lives better and give them a better relationship with technology. And um, these sort of free and open source protocols, which allow this to, to which are like commons, Nostar. Ah, I remember what I was going to go back to on my point before. We don't know what like Nostar, Nostar's killer use case might be 
all IoT runs on in the future, you know? Yeah. The social network side might be the smaller part of it. Or it might be that it's purely for marketplaces or not purely for market. That might be the the, the, the thing it gets Majority. most traction and most use in. Yeah. And like Bitcoin, like we currently use it to transmit value to one person to another, but it's really just digital scarcity and like pegging something that a thing happened at a certain point in time on the internet, which is actually really hard. Um mm. And in the digital world, which we're all spending more and more of our time in, it's important to have things which are scarce, and it's important to be able to say that a thing happened at a certain point in time. Um, so I feel that the commodity use cases for something like Bitcoin and all the different commodity use cases for something like Nostra, I think we're just scratching the surface. Like it's the canvas is still blank, you know, free like blue sky thinking, uh, not blue sky, you know, Jack Dorsey's thing, the actual yeah, blue sky thinking, like. Um, we're still in the sandbox playing with the paddles, kind of trying to figure yeah, out exactly. what, what we're building yeah, here. We're, doing. we're like, oh, <laughs> Bitcoin, do you want some? I'll give you some for that car. You know? <laughs> but uh, that, that, that's a very interesting point, Ben, that you mentioned. Kind of Also, what I find one of the most fascinating things to me about Bitcoin is, is, is the time chain that actually having to record something, your action or, or, or your purchase or ownership of something that's recorded and cannot be changed and until Bitcoin. In, in history of humanity, we always referred back to sacred scripts and, you know, different writings that, who knows, I can't verify that that was actually that, you know, who, who did those writings, you know, who actually edited them. And now suddenly, and, and I think also that that's why the governments were so anti, anti-Bitcoin and, and anti-open source, because then essentially kind of, they want to get away with their lives. You can't rewrite history. You can't rewrite history. Wow. That's yeah. cool. And this is the first time that. that it's ever possible because forever, even today, you know, looking back at the scriptures or what happened in the Roman days or Egyptians, we're looking at these relics and, and, and different scriptures, but, you know, nobody really knows the truth. And now with Bitcoin, as you said, kind of a use case could be just a historic time chain of all important events that happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, like, we know that these big platforms, they have content moderated and removed from them for the, you know, yeah. the the political sway of whatever government where this company resides or whatever, you know, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. Um, so we know that that stuff is doctored. Uh, and you can't just trust the Wayback Machine. Like you need something. Chris. So being able to hash <laughs> stuff into into Bitcoin transactions and say this thing happened at a certain point in time. Yeah, that's cool, man. I never really thought about that. It's cool how that never existed before in the entire of his because it's like i i was like wow mind blown that digital there was nothing scarce in the digital world until bitcoin bitcoin is the first scarce thing um mm. and when you think how important scarcity is just in our real material world but your your mind blow is even is even bigger than that that it's um it's the first time in history humanity has had this thing which had so much energy is committed to just saying that this particular event happened at this particular point in time. That's cool. Yeah. Well, to, to, talking about the essentially the the, the impact of Bitcoin, I, I want to ask you one of kind of one question that I had in mind, which was, what are some significant challenges, Ben, that, that you kind of face when you're advocating for Bitcoin adoption today? Because um, because it's been so many years, so many different scenarios, and kind of the the world shifts have changed. But kind of what are what are some challenges that you face when you're kind of trying to orange people the the no coiners or the normies? I think the big, I think the biggest, I think the biggest challenges. I mean, I'm not so worried. Like I think, like people worry in Nostra, for example, on um, people, normal people being able to wrap their head around public key crypto. 
And it's it's a very vanguardist attitude. You know, you're acting like a technocrat, like you're some genius because you've you've mastered public key cryptography, like the <laughs> basic principles of public key cryptography, which is you have a private key, you have a public key, keep that safe and private, give that out to people. That's it. If, if you want them to like know who you are, whatever data. Um, so I really feel that regular normal people will just get a handle on that. It's not complicated. Like, it's not a complicated uh, uh, thing to wrap your head around. It is when you first do it, but just as, like, you know, email is, you know, like, originally when you first you got to CC someone, what the fuck does that mean? You know, like, like <laughs> all that stuff is complicated when you first uh, encounter it. And I, I really feel that public key crypto is, is something which is normal people will wrap their heads. Well, they'll have to because passwords will get too ridiculous. Captures will get too hard. And public key crypto solves a lot of those problems, which we're we're going to start facing on the internet as uh, uh, computation gets higher. Um, but, 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 but challenges. So uh, I think I don't think it's 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 a lack of like technical expertise or lack of ideas for making Bitcoin more accessible and scaling it better so the whole world can use it. I think that it's more people don't bother tackling those problems until they're mm. problems um that's always kind of annoying but I, I can see why that exists as a thing but uh like scaling for example like there's people now are like oh no bitcoin's great it works fine for me Blah. but uh, you're not going to be saying that when it's like a thousand dollars a transaction right you, like <laughs> bitcoin works fine for me like, you, like you, you, we need to be ready for the for when that happens and we need to build out like or start thinking about at least these other scaling uh, solutions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is why, you know, when people get annoyed at the ordinal stuff, I don't care about ordinals, whatever, but um, why they it's get annoyed by it, and I'm like, here today, yeah. gone tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I'm just like, but this is this is good. This is this is like stress testing the network. Yeah. All our shit's breaking. All our lightning shit's breaking because we can't fucking open channels because it's sorry, it's right because it's because <laughs> it's too expensive because um, uh, of all the ordinal graffiti all over our blockchains so it's it's so it's like but i, I like it i embrace it you know I, I embrace busy full blocks which we have to we have to build for and we have to account for and then like a lightning network which like on chain isn't really the best like underlayer for lightning lightnings by i really truly believe that bi-directional payment channels um networks of bi-directional payment channels are of course the future for day-to-day payments um you don't need to be stored everywhere forever you, know, you just want to just make a simple payment for some coffee or something i think that's the oh, solution God. um yeah like it's just the perfect the, the best way of doing it but we just need to make that easier to run and and a lot of the things which hold back the lightning network is really like on chain like fees are too high for opening and closing channels and channel management stuff um so i really like that liquid uh, is now coming to the fourth coming come come into more prominence um mm. like uh, dni he's added uh bolt sorry uh, they've added uh, liquid support um so you can pay for on-chain to lightning swaps um because they or bolts do uh, trustless swaps for anyone who doesn't know but you can pay for them with liquid and uh it's like a thousand sats to do like a lightning to on-chain um oh wow uh, swap out but that's cool it means that those layers like there's less friction moving from one layer to another um and that will mean that like a lot of lightning nodes, like we're doing it with LM bits, like we have Bolts extension and then we have um, the uh, a lightning node, a node management solution as well. So there's nothing to stop us from having some sort of auto rebalancing feature, which can like loop 
funds in and out to rebalance rebalance um so yeah so so it's cool that like the the the, the recent like spam has caused or well, spam whatever you, the code allows right um that it's it's forced people to 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 just to work on some of those scaling solutions and issues. I honestly think that the tools we have now, Lightning Network, Liquid, on chain, we're like we're like five percent of what's possible. Um, mm. We need a lot more work to do the rest, the other ninety five percent, to really take advantage of those different like networks and, and different protocols and layers. Um, and then of course, yeah, there'll be other layers, you know, which also, you know. But I, I don't like the idea of you know doing five percent of the work on Lightning, um, and then saying, "Oh, well, that that isn't easy for everyone to run. Well, we're going to have to. Everyone's just going to have to have fucking eCash from now on." And it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, come on, we can make this thing easier to run. You know, we can stop shilling you, shilling yeah, well, shilling your solution." <laughs> well, once again, our people like doing that. But once again, it, it it's talking about taking time into perspective, right? Like how far we've come in such a short while. Yes, and, that's and what's true. in front of us. It's fascinating already now. Imagine yeah. telling someone about you know layer two, you know lightning payments and and what Ellen Bits is doing fifteen years ago. They would Man, say, "What are you talking I mean, about?" It's sci-fi, sci-fi. When, well, I remember like with the block war stuff, and we were at, like you know with Segwit, we went from like three transactions a second to five transactions a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, at that point, Visa is doing twenty-five thousand transactions a second, and we're like, "Whoa!" Well, and and then within within you know three years. We have this new layer, which yeah, it's okay. It's, it's it's fiddly to run if you want to do it in a non-custodial way. If you want to run your own node and run your own infrastructure, it's kind of fiddly, right? And manage your own channels is a pain in the ass. Mm. But we've built something which works better than Visa. Like if you're if you're if you're if you build it in a way which is like Visa, where you just have like trusted parties and banks and stuff, um, and they're sending value to each other. The Lightning Network superior. That's why this LightSpark thing's been, you know, so heavily was heavily invested in. Was it 250 million or whatever it was, um, which they had invested in in 200 million or something ridiculous. Um, mm. But that's using Lightning just as a, a payment rails, like outside of Bitcoin. Like it's, it's it's superior to Visa, and we've done that in like three years. And it's like, okay, now let's <laughs> continue to try and make that thing easier to run for people, more automated. Um, and uh, try and get more and more people just to run their own shit. That's the most important thing. Well, I think I think we'll, we'll be having more minds coming together and and then kind of help to shape and, and build this kind of free sound money future as kind of the, the the real world, call it that, is decrippling and crippling around us and everything is not making any sense and people are looking for solutions and kind of want to opt out. And then finally, you know, there is that light at the end of the tunnel and which which I found very kind of reassuring and, and, and nice what you said that you're willing to help out people and a lot of other people you know if, if you put in the effort we're there to help you and you know grow together it's not kind of you're sitting in your own little dark room trying to nibble through and, and you know find something that works uh, but yeah let me let me close kind of as we're coming up to to, to the end of uh, our time today I wanted to kind of close up with one question that I ask all, all, all of our guests that come on the show and which would be what has been one piece of advice that you want to share with an individual who's new to Bitcoin and wants to get involved in, in the community. And of course, you already mentioned kind of start building, start doing something and, and we're here to help. But more than that, kind of what is one kind of advice you want to leave a listener who's yet to kind of, you know, dip their toes in, in the Bitcoin and in the free world? I, I would say contribute back. Back in the day on the internet, um, on BBS boards, um, and on early internet as well, there was this concept of like seeders and leeches, which which you know people will be familiar with in in torrents. Um, and there was a 
like an expectation uh, like it was just good manners that if you took data and if you took so much from something if you consumed stuff then it's good moral i don't know there's something you should contribute back in some way um if you're making use of bitcoin and you're using bitcoin and then you have that urge as all of us do to contribute back just i mean just owning bitcoin is contributing um uh and and, and that's that's fine talking about it with friends and family but if you want to help contribute to the software and the projects run some of the software play around with it you find a bug you know, run lm bits play with the extensions and then in one of the extensions you find something that doesn't work properly and then just report that go on the telegram group lm bits you know telegram group and say oh, i found this bug i found something which doesn't work uh, and that's a great contribution and then mm. you know create a github account it's not that hard to create a GitHub, github account it's like signing up to anything um and, and and maybe when you find that bug for that extension maybe you go into the extension repo and then you just post an issue i found this bug this was the environment in which i was running alan bits or well, not even running i was just using alan bits maybe just using it on our demo server um, yeah. uh so just contribute back just like um don't just leech seed uh and I, 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 I as long as we all do that um uh then you know the the, the whole system will continue to develop and, uh, and grow continue to thrive and grow yeah as long as we Perfect. all nurture it together well there you have it guys don't be lurkers in the dark get, get involved contribute back and, and and be a part of the community if you, if you want to be in the community do something for it right that they'll just sit back and and, and listen well then it, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor having you on where can we send the listeners who, who want to follow you and of course ellen bits um in development going forward um so if you go if you're on nostr then i'm ben at nostr.com i didn't tell you the story about how i got nostr.com but there we are that for another time ben at <laughs> nostr.com and if you go on twitter it's ben arc if you just ben arc twitter you'll probably find me uh and then yeah i mean i i, I like i tend to like make I, i'm trying to make more tutorials video tutorials um do more documentation all the great things which uh, are the communities I'm involved in the building, such as Alan Bits and, and the Maker Bits community and Nostra, some of the Nostra stuff as well. So, yeah, keep an eye out there. And then if you want to get involved, then come and hang out with us on, on the Alan Bits Telegram group. It's just Alan Bits at Telegram. We have the Maker Bits Telegram group as well. That's more for the hardware stuff. Uh, Maker Bits, one word, and that's in Telegram. Um, and yeah, that's, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's there, there people could. And if you want to, yeah, 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 that's, they're probably the best places to reach out. Perfect. Well, Ben, I guess uh, post having we'll, we'll have the, the next show and uh, definitely we'll, we'll kick it off with uh, how did you obtain Nostar.com? I you, you left me with a cliffhanger there, uh, so, so we'll save it for the next one. Ben, once again, right. thanks a lot for your time. It's been a pleasure. I wish you all the best of luck with the developments. And uh, yeah, guys, definitely go get involved. Check out Ellen Bits. Feel free to reach out to Ben. I think he'll be more than happy and, and the community to help you out. And we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks, man. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.